0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray.
1: Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at ScentLock. We are getting to the heart of whitetail season, and I basically all year long live in my ScentLock. I'm a huge fan of it, and uh, I would highly encourage you to go check it out if you have not, especially for sitting in a tree stand. I have a special guest, a buddy of mine. Uh, We met last year at the Pope and Young Convention, and um, Mr. Layden Force, how are you, man?
2: Hey, man, I am doing great, Dylan. I appreciate you having me on here. It's good to see you again. Um, It's whitetail season. It's a great time to talk about about bow hunting, talk about everything that you can imagine that we enjoy this time of year.
1: And no better place to talk about whitetails than with North American whitetail. So uh, tell me um, what you do there at North American whitetail and how you got there
2: for sure well um i'm currently the publisher uh which means i'm essentially the general manager of north american whitetail the brand um i have a couple other brands that i i operate in the same capacity for gundog magazine and um or gundog the brand and then also wildfowl um but north american whitetail is is how we made the connection and met it at pope and young and very involved in all three on a daily basis um within north american whitetail i'm also the producer and, and host co-host mm-hmm. of um, North American Whitetail TV. Um, so it's pretty busy schedule, uh, and I, I enjoy every bit of it. Very fortunate to work here with this brand and all three brands, and and man, just work with great people um, at those brands. Whether it's you know Haynes Shelton, our editor in chief at, at North American Whitetail, or Blake Garlock, our associate editor, or, or even our editor emeritus um, Gordon Whittington, that's been with the brand for over thirty eight years now, right down to Callie Parmley and Skip Knowles at at uh, Gun gundog and wildfowl respectively so it's pretty cool pretty cool gig man
1: yeah absolutely man um now before we before we started recording we were talking briefly about the process people go through when they kill a monster and obviously you're on that side of things you're on the side of things of hey let us publish your story uh, let us put that out. We want to write that, and I, I I am to an extent on the on the Pope and Young side of things, but but not a tremendous amount. Um, But you're on that side of things, and I have on two different occasions got to experience the process from a hunter standpoint. A uh, young man in my youth group shot a 241 inch deer, and uh, I mean he was still in high school, and he's all of a sudden getting phone calls about let us buy your deer, we'll give you this, we'll give you that, we need this, we need that, and, you know, I didn't know what to do. And a lot of people don't understand, I don't know if politics is the right word to use here, but a lot of people don't understand the um, intricacies that go on, like, if you kill that magnitude of animal, and you want to go down the path of, of going down that path. You know, there are some people that just say, no, thanks, uh, I'm good. Uh, But if you choose to go down that path, a lot of people don't understand the intricacies of that. Like, you know, people just think like, oh, they got awarded a new world record. Well, like I can tell you from experience, if you get awarded a new Pope and Young world record, you probably flew to a special panel, got it measured by a by a panel of judges. And then it went through a process with the director of records um, to be verified as the new world record. And then, you know, I mean, it's it's a big process of of coming to convention and then our 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 special panel in in april and i mean it's a big process to say new world record it's not mm-hmm. something that's just thrown around and so a lot of people don't understand the intricacies that go into man i just shot a stinking giant and there's people wanting to publish this story so being on that side of things how does that even work man like what do they go through what do they do uh they
2: they to the point of what we were talking about is, uh, it can be a lot it can be a whole lot and not just with, you know, the individuals that are hoping to tell your story uh, like we do here at North American Whitetail, but, you know, to the extent of those involved in the industry and, and um, you know, I, I think there's probably a lot of perception around what it means and a world record is a lot different than a state record, but they're both equally important. And in some cases, you know, just a top five deer in, in the yeah. area with the weapon of, of choice um, is a big deal, man. And it yeah. differs pope and young to boone and crockett you know and we'll just say for general's sake archery versus firearms right and in a method of take because pope and young has a biennial um event uh boone and crockett has a triennial event so their panel is every three years instead of every every other year right um, so there's a lot that can happen in that time period and and you know there's there's just a lot to it but it can be very overwhelming and um you know i think that there are there is some perception out there that Hey, if you kill a state record, you're going to sell that deer for a hundred thousand um, dollars. And I, I don't, I don't think that's hundred percent accurate. And right. um, you know, every once in a while, sure, somebody might we might be involved in in a conversation where somebody would bring up a price that they were offered by by uh, a manufacturer, maybe in the industry, or a collector, or maybe just some guy that wants to buy your deer and have it on display because he has some type of, of history with that deer, maybe, you know, a a guy that's well, well off and he was your neighbor. And, um, just so happens that he has shed history for the last three years with that deer. And he agrees to buy you replicas for the rest of your life, but he wants the, the original deer that you maybe took on your side. You never, it just, you never know who might be interested. And in some cases it might be worth $10,000 or $50,000 to somebody. It always just kind of depends on who, who the offerer is and what they're offering. And, um, but that's not the case with every big deer that's killed. You know, and I can, I can confidently say that, you know, that, you know, if it's, if it's a top five to 10 deer, you know, you're probably not going to have a a $10,000 check waiting for you, unfortunately. But, you know, I think for most of us, that's not what it's about anyway, but, uh, but that, that does come into existence, um, at times. And, you know, I've, I've just in the last week here, I have a good friend that took a, took an outstanding deer a mile from my back door where we're sitting right now he that deer was killed within a mile of where I'm at and he took it with a recurve and it's a you know it's a 200 inch deer um and it's going to be quite an impressive deer and and he just called me a little bit ago we talked about the opportunity of potentially writing about it at North American Whitetail and he was open to the idea and and I went and took his pictures on Friday, um Friday evening, and had the opportunity to get some real good pictures and really document, you know, such a special animal, man. It just right. such unbelievable animal. But he he killed it with a recurve bow on top of it, which is yeah. even, you know, so so to have that magnitude of of an animal taken. But we were just talking on the phone. He's like, man, man, you know, I'm just starting to get several messages. I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and you know, the guys from Outdoor Life just called me, and uh, you know, I just that's really what got you and I talking about this that it's a process and it can be a lot. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a 38 year old guy that, you know, has got a pretty good business going and he, he understands the art of negotiation. Um, so there, there's some things there that he'd probably have a lot better position with, but still it, it's all pretty new uh, to him and didn't really know the nuances of even how to handle, uh, maybe how that coverage would be, um, owned by somebody or an entity like ours, or maybe an entity like outdoor life. And was just kind of, ask him for some questions. But, you know, imagine if you're like the young man that was in your youth group, 14 year old boy, you go out and you happen to kill a 240 inch plus monster in Kansas. It's your first year. Maybe mom and dad don't really hunt or don't have much interest in it. They don't really understand it. And now all of a sudden, just imagine being his parents and having people from the country sending, you know, text messages or calling the house or sending emails or maybe even knocking on the door and saying, Hey, we would like to pay thousands of dollars. Um, like he had in his case for your son's deer. And yeah, you know, uh, that could be pretty overwhelming. Um, I from, got news
1: for you. If my boy ever kills deer and people are knocking, I'm like, dude, you hundred bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. you, uh, Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's up to you. And you know, like it, you, you've heard people say that cliche statement of,
2: trophies in the eye of the beholder. And there's some guys out there that they'll never sell you. They'll ne- never will, never will sell right. them. And you know, like that original bone hanging on their wall or in their hands, you know, or yeah. when they touch it means more to them than any 10,000 or $15,000 check could ever, or $5,000 or maybe $500 check, you know, and other people it's like, ah, you get me a replica and I'm good to go. You can, you know, write me a right. check. And I'll go buy a new trailer or a four-wheeler, you know, for the year. So um it really just kind of depends situationally from person to person um and, and you, know you know what's
1: even more outstanding to me is mm-hmm. that when they choose to go down that route and you talked about this briefly there um is the scrutiny that they catch oh like uh, I, I mean that kid got so many comments and emails and text messages you're a high fence hunter and you're trying to and I'm like, dude I could take you to the spot he killed it and right. I know for a fact it wasn't in a high fence so shut your mouth. Like we, we, (laughs) or even the weapon, like, oh, anybody can do it with a rifle. Really? Like I can't kill a 241 inch deer with a rifle. I promise you that. Like I can't go out this week and do that. That's, that's not, I mean, and the scrutiny that they catch is just ridiculous. And it drives me absolutely insane.
2: Yep. Yeah. It, it, man, it stinks. You know, I guess the, the good old saying of haters going to hate, um, Couldn't be any more true. Um, You know, you're going to have neighbors potentially. We've heard it all, man. Had neighbors that are five miles down the road that say, hey, I've I've had that deer on camera for the last, you know, three months. And all of a sudden he disappeared two weeks ago. You shot him two weeks ago on my property. You were trespassing. And, uh, you know, like, unfortunately, whitetails in most cases, even the the most smart and mature animals don't live in a 200, you know, 200 yard circle. Um, they're gonna travel. We know that from science and data uh, that we've collected over the years, whether it be from us or you know, the guys down at Mississippi State University or you know, go down the list. like we we know that's not the case. like, and yeah, but I, I think that you know, it's got to the point now where we were just talking to another individual that had taken a a very nice deer by Bow last week. and he said the first thing he did uh, per recommendation of one of his good buddies that has been around a few deer taken was call the conservation agent, have him come out, confirm the uh, kill site. Um, that everything was tagged properly that, you know, confirmed the whole situation um, that nobody could throw any red flags so that he didn't get investigated. But, you know, you, you hear all kinds of things. I've heard podcasts with Dustin Huff that killed, you know, a a great deer in Indiana here, uh, the pending or potential, um, you know, biggest typical uh, uh, taken by crossbow. Um, And I say potential because official score has not been confirmed at panel yet, you know, um, but I've heard stories of, of people telling, you know, sending him trail cameras, pictures from miles away, legitimately over the last two or three years, um, people showing up and saying that, you know, he, he definitely shot that deer in the headlights and he definitely shot it with a crossbow, you know, or a rifle, just all kinds of stuff. You don't know what's going to come out of the woodwork, but, um, you know, we just kind of always operate with the the thought process that good intention was had and performed and, um, in, in the harvest and, and, you know, you, there, there is the occasional case where, where there might be a little smoke. You well, know? I just
1: don't, I don't get yeah. why. Like, I remember one time as a kid, my dad telling me, if you're a true sportsman, a true sportsman, you'll always be happy for another sportsman. Like yeah. there, like if you really truly are a sportsman, there is no like, Oh man, like God, there, there will always be, a joy for the other hunter and Mm -hmm. like dude i mean we've we're in a in a culture now where oh my gosh it drives me and dude even myself i like last week i hope he's not listening because this is going to stir up trouble because he does have enough he has a platform that he could talk about me on um i put up a video of a new blind and this dude gets on there saying yeah what happened to real sportsman skills uh now you just have a blind you don't have to worry about concealment and hunting and you just go sit in and i'm like okay well first off um i'm setting this up for me and my boy to hunt out of he's Mm -hmm. four like yeah i'm not gonna go spot and stalking whitetails in kansas with a four-year-old so i'm making this for my son to be able to sit in a blind with me and watch deer and and hopefully shoot a deer um but not only that why do you care how i hunt like why (laughs) why why do you care if I choose to sit in a blind or a tree stand or anything else for that matter? Like, but we're in this society where we put everyone down if they don't do things the exact way we do things. And it just drives me insane.
2: Yeah. It it stinks, man. And, um, you know, I think maybe you and I had a, a slight conversation about this last week It's just, you know, we need, we need everybody as a, as a hunting community, we need everybody. And, um, you know, I will be the first one to raise my hand and say, Hey, there was a time when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old that I was a vertical bow enthusiast. I mean, to the yeah. utmost uh gauge, you know, like it, it I was all the way there. And if somebody said crossbow, I was like, Oh, I shook my shook my head at him, couldn't believe it. And
1: you look really you good say? for 60, by the way.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but I like I I you know, I say that there was a time period that I thought that way and I feel bad about it now. And right. it took was life experience with me because I had a grandfather that, you know, had raised me to hunt and was a big, you know, influence in my life, whether it was quail hunting behind his bird dogs with a you know a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge, or whether it was bow hunting. I can remember like his bare bow is still hanging on the the rack at his house.
0: Yeah.
2: One that he last used. And so you know, that was a guy that I looked up to that got me into the, you know, the uh, activity of vertical bow hunting. And he hit a point where arthritis overtook his elbow and he couldn't pull back a vertical bow anymore. And, you know, like he hated it. He did because it, it really shortened his season and something that he really enjoyed doing. And until our local family doctor had him in the office one day and was talking to him about his arthritis and their, their hunting buddies, you know, they talk about their hunting stories every time he goes in there. And he said, Hey, Karen, do me a favor. He said, I'm going to write you a notice today because I know you can't uh, pull your vertical bow back anymore. But he's like, "I, you know, I got a crossbow. I got an Excalibur crossbow. It was a recurve crossbow. And he's like, it's kind of like the in-between, you know, and he said, I went and I got it. And he said, man, I was just like you not that long ago. And I went and got a crossbow. And, you know, despite what everybody says, it got me back out into the woods and it gave me the opportunity. And, yeah. uh, you know, grandpa kind of, he, I don't know, you know, and then he, he ended up convincing himself just to go try it and um he went and got a crossbow and he started doing it and he's back in the woods man and i i think yeah. that so many of us you know it doesn't matter the weapon as long as it's legal as long as it's ethical and it allows you that opportunity to get out and connect with you know mother nature not to sound like the the cliche guy av- advocating for the outdoors but that's the reality especially as archers or guys that are brought up in yeah. the hunting community guys and gals like that that's our biggest attachment nine times out of 10 is that, that, you know, I would say I'd like to call it intimacy that we have with the wildlife and the outdoors and what's going on when we have a stick and string in our hand and the closeness of that whole experience. And, and that, that got him back there. And I, I quickly had to change my mind on things because that was a, um, you know, I loved and cared about still do to this day. And, and he's still crossbow hunting to this day, you know, over 10 years later, 15 years later. And, you know, it just really opened my eyes. And I I went on to work for an archery manufacturer and a crossbow manufacturer. And so I get to hear a lot more stories like that is what I'm getting. Right. There's time period, like I said, I was that guy that was like, What are you doing? This is crazy, you know. It and I really wasn't thinking about I wasn't taking myself outside of my shoes and putting myself in somebody else's shoes and walking a mile, you know. And well, we yeah, need- and
1: that's what like I, I think there needs to be that 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 time in every hunter's life where they realize the way I do things is not the only way and the way I do things is not necessarily the right way like there is no right or wrong way to enjoy hunting and and, you know I walked into to to, uh, a family get-together the other day and I was wearing a three rivers archery shirt Mm
0: -hmm. and their
1: slogan is is uh traditional only and it said traditional only and one of my cousins we're, we're good friends, hunting buddies. I knew he was joking, but he looked at his son. And he said, see son, this is what we call an elitist. <laughs> and, and he knows good and well, he knows good and well I home yeah. with the compound too, but he was yeah. being funny. And I thought, you know what? That is exactly what's wrong with the hunting community though. Not, not me and him. I, I knew right, he was right. joking. No, yeah. He knows, but, uh, I thought that's exactly what's wrong with the hunting community because if somebody says traditional only, then the compound hunters get mad. And if somebody says it's crazy, dude. Like there's no right or wrong way to shoot a deer. Absolutely no. not. Just go out and enjoy hunting. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you hunt from a blind or you're spotting and stalking buck naked like my homeboy who made. I had to make a comment. Like yes. it, it it doesn't matter how you're hunting, dude. There is no right or wrong way. Get out there and enjoy hunting and certainly don't put other people down for the way they do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like I, I, I think about just that shirt where it says traditional only, and maybe, you know, maybe we put the AL in parentheses. So it says tradition only, you know, yeah. with the optional there, you know, but it, you know, you look at it and to your point, man, you know, I think we've, as a community, and this is just us today as a society, not necessarily even the hunting society. Like we have to identify with something. We always need to be right. attached and affiliate ourselves with something because we feel the need. And a lot of this is social media driven. And I'm like, I'm not just saying this out of out of my small brain. I'm saying this out of, uh, based upon, you know, things I've read and scientific right. research that's been done, you know, that we have to affiliate. And that's part of what social media drives, right? That inclusion um, or, you know, even even further or deeper into the conversation, FOMO, right? The fear of missing out uh, whole concept that applies to so many of us. And, you know, I, I quite often talk with my buddies anymore. I get philosophical at times and say, man, I got like, I love that we all want to identify with something, uh, but I wish we could all identify with each other at the same time and just agree to disagree. We don't have to all like to bow hunt. We don't all have to like crossbow hunt. Maybe it's not for us, but it doesn't mean that we need to rain on somebody else's parade, man. They're still buying right. the tag that you are, and they're supporting that deer herd, you know, in the state of Indiana or Missouri or Michigan in the way that you are. Um, you know, and, and if they haven't been introduced to vertical bow hunting or traditional bow hunting, that crossbow might be the vehicle that allows for you to have that conversation and share that passion with them at some point, right. You know, you've got a common interest already. Um, so at the end of the day, be happy and thankful for that common interest. And, you know, and I, I, not to preach it but anybody, I'm just, but I'm, I'm saying that because, man, I've gone down that road. And yeah. um, seeing how it's made me, I, I know how it made me felt or feel, uh, then, and and I know how I felt after I, I transitioned out of it. And so if I could share something with somebody, I would definitely say, Hey, be open-minded, uh, because you never know. You
1: never so know. what me and Layden are saying is <laughs> just shut your mouths and hunt. That's yeah. What just, just, hunt. <laughs> just hunt. Um, well, this is truly not the way that I thought this podcast was going to go, but the, Hey, that's fine. That's the beauty of these things. Uh, before we move on, I have learned quickly that there are names in this world that I can trust. One of those being muddy. I have learned um, early on that if it says muddy, I can trust it. I absolutely love their tree stands. I love, listen, I saw a comment the other day and it was something about a tree stand and I'm not going to name any names, but it was like a $400 hang on. And I'm like, yeah, or I can buy five muddies for the price of that one. And why wouldn't I do that? Um, But anyways, I know that if it says Muddy, I can trust it from tree stands to ground blinds to trail cameras to accessories and harnesses and everything. Guys, Muddy is has been around forever. They're a name you can trust. They're a name that won't break the bank either, which is what I like. So I would highly encourage you, if you're in the market for anything of the sort, go check out Muddy at GoMuddy.com. Um, there's been this topic come up on several podcasts that I've heard now. Um, working class bowhunter. And the Raised Hunting Podcast. I heard them both give this topic. Um, so I'm not copying you. We're just going to give you the correct answers, guys. Um, so if you're listening, don't be like, oh, Dylan's copying me. No, we just wanted to give you the right answers. So, Layden, if you had to pick, they I think they did three days. If you okay. had to pick any three days to hunt. If you had to pick any consecutive three days to hunt and kill a big buck, what would those three days be?
2: For me, probably uh, 9th, tenth, and eleventh of December or of November, or tenth, uh, eleventh, twelfth of of November. And for me, that's just I've I'm, I'm filled several tags over the years on Veterans Day on the eleventh. Um, that's just a good it's a good day for me. It seems like so. Any three days in that area, right there. Um, but I, I'll tell you, if you wouldn't have said consecutive, I would have said September one, November eleventh. December 31st.
1: <laughs> you nice. Know? Okay. The now, does it water. change? Their, their topic went a little further. Does it change if that's one particular buck you're trying to harvest or if you're just trying to kill any, any big buck? Does that, do those three days change? They do for me.
2: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It definitely does. So,
1: are those are those dates you given for any big buck or is that for one specific buck
2: i would i would say any big buck if i'm going into a new area and not familiar with a certain deer, um and you know not trying to to target a specific deer then yeah those it's any deer um but i mean if it's a specific deer it's you know you're waiting for that that uh perfect moment perfect win perfect activity time period that you know based on your research and and history that animal that when he gives you that opportunity you want to make sure you're in the right place whether it's september 31st or or december the second um you want to make so sure
1: you're- my answer is for any big buck is november 7th ninth, 8th and 9th mm-hmm. um or actually i'm going to change that it would be november 8th 9th and 10th because as i told you i had a kid born on november 7th yeah. so <laughs> that's out of the picture for me so um i'm going november 8th 9th and 10th now that's for any buck Um, that's for, I just want to kill a big buck. That's for those, that's those days. Now here's why, uh, because it's early enough in the rut to where bucks are going nuts, but -hmm. there's not so many does in heat that I can't communicate with them. I can't call to them. I can't entice them. If I push it back in November, say a week, two weeks into November, every doe in the world is in heat. And this is for Kansas specifically where I hunt majority. (laughs) Every doe in the world is in heat. There's does running around everywhere and bucks are chasing them around everywhere. I can call to them, doesn't matter. I can rattle, doesn't matter. I can have a decoy out, doesn't matter. They're already chasing a hot doe. Why would they leave that doe to come to me? Um, Now, if it's early November, the bucks are getting fired up and there's a few does that are fired up but they're cruising and running around looking for does. So if I can make them think that I I have a hot doe over here, then I can pull those bucks in. Um, So any big deer, it's November 8th, 9th, and 10th. If I have one specific buck that I've been trying to kill, I'm going like December 20, 21st, 22nd, Um, late, late, late in the year. It's frigid cold. It's dumping snow, bucks are trying to put back on weight. They're hitting food sources really hard. And at that point in the game, bucks are super, super patternable, uh, Mm -hmm. because they need food. Um, they're going to be hitting food sources consistently. So, uh, bucks are just really easy to pattern in that time of year Uh, or in the the really early part of the year. Um, but I don't like hunting in the heat, so I'm going late in the year. So, um, (laughs) Yeah. If there's one specific buck that I'm trying to kill, it's going to be late in the year and, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to get them over food is what's going to happen.
2: It's a great time of year, man. I love hunting late season and, and especially with my bow and arrow. And I'll tell you, it's just, I think it's a time of the season that is highly overlooked.
1: Oh, uh, absolutely.
2: You take you know, and, and the, the one risk you take is that, especially if you're hunting smaller properties or public land is that. Hey, somebody else has placed influence on that big specific deer that you're trying to chase. But it's, man, it's a great time if you've got an area where you're not fighting competition and um, that deer stays at home pretty well. Uh, like you said, he's he's already had his nose. He's coming back. He's trying to rebuild that fat storage. He's, you know, he's underweight. He's got one thing on his mind. He's probably bedding pretty close to the food. And, and you know, it's
1: those big weather movements that are going to get him up on his feet and hit that food that you've got to hunt. So there's also just so many, like... There's so many benefits to like, I can check fresh tracks in snow. Uh, yep. I mean, they're not going to be able to smell me as much because it's freezing cold. I'm not going to be smelling as much because it's freezing cold. Hmm. Like there's so many benefits of hunting in that late season. And a lot of guys like they get past the rut and they're like, oh man, like the rut's over. That was a fun year, dude. It's just now getting the best time. Oh yeah. I, I don't want to speak this into existence too early because it just happened today, but Dude, I'm so freaking excited about this. You can't even imagine. (laughs) I think I'm going to be hunting whitetails in December with Chuck Adams. Um, Really? I think. I think. There's like a 90% chance. Um, We were talking and he's like, yeah, I don't really have any good whitetail hunts this year. And I'm like, well, dude, Liberty Ranch is my outfit in Oklahoma. Like, let's go, dude. Late season, let's hit it. And uh, so I think we're going to try to make that happen. But that's why. Uh, you know, he's like, well, Hey, I'm done November 10th. Like, I can be there anytime after that. Like, let's hit the rut. And I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm, I'm not gonna try to tell Chuck Adams what to do, because uh, <laughs> I'll hunt when you want to hunt. Oh, come on, Chuck. Come on. But, but I'm like, dude, in Oklahoma, trust me, man. Um, late season is king. Uh, right. because it's just, it's, it's really, it's fun hunting in the rut. Don't get me wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a blast. You can call them. You can watch them. They're running everywhere. They're going nuts. Um, but if you really want to nail down a big buck dude, the late season is the time to do it
2: for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a great time. I like I telling you, South Dakota is a place that I, I love to go. Western South Dakota is a place that I love to go in the late season um, because you can see a long ways. You can put eyeballs yeah. on here, you can find that buck and then you can put the, you know, put the story together on them. And we've yeah. had some months over the years hunting that way um, specifically with bow and arrow in December, you know, and, and back home, like, man, we get two tags in the state of Missouri and, and, um, if I didn't put it together, you know, during the early season, I'm still hunting those deer in December and, and even into January, our season ends January 15th. And
1: now my favorite time in Missouri, I always schedule Missouri December, like fifth or the 10th, uh-huh. uh, because I really like in Missouri hitting that second rut. The second it, rut. Yeah. Seems yeah. like that first week of December, man, you'll always, always, if you start pulling in, if you start, throwing some soft grunts out there uh some weary grunts like man i'm tired but i'm trying to nail her down um yep. seems like you always find that buck that that'll come into that and uh and so i i shot a, a, a buck last year in missouri um with my recurve um you know that time called him in perfect i mean that's i i love that time in, in missouri it doesn't get as frigid cold and and now up, up where you are, it does, but I hunt in yeah. South, I hunt in South Missouri, uh, the southernmost part of Missouri. So it doesn't, you don't get those crazy, crazy winters and, uh, December first, second week of December. I love Missouri.
2: Oh, it's good, man. It's a, it's a good time. Like I said, you get those, those, those that didn't get bred first cycle or, or maybe a, a late cycle doe that is coming around or younger does, um, that just their, you know, their cycles are off because of when they were yeah. born. I've seen some crazy action in the first week of December and a lot of times you'll see yeah. on your trail cameras, man, like you'll oh, see yeah. that pick up. And all of a sudden there's bucks hitting scrapes again, you know, around that time period that you just uh, stated. And and if that's the case, like, Hey, it's, it's not like the full blown ruts on again. Um, but if you've got guys hitting scrapes and you can see bucks chasing does in your trail camera, like it's a sequence of the seek phase, um, get out there. Uh, it's a great opportunity, opportunity to capitalize on what's going on in, you know, the deer's ecosystem. And if you're lucky enough to have that going on, on your property, man, go capitalize.
1: Well, that's what, like, I don't remember when it was. Um, I don't know, maybe like 2018. Um, I was in Missouri and I see a buck full on chasing a doe and I'm like, what in the heck? And it's that time. It's like December 10th, 11th. I'm like, what in the heck? Like, He's full on chasing. And uh, and you can sometimes trick yourself into thinking like, oh, it's full blown rut. Right. But don't, like don't trick yourself into thinking that. Just trick yourself into thinking, man, there was a couple hot does left and it got that buck fired up. And yep. if I can tell the other deer in the area that there's a couple hot does left, then I'll pull those bucks in.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a cool time because you never know. Um, and you, I mean, just in the way that deer work, you never know what deer is going to be cruising uh, cruising through on his way to uh, to seek out a new food source or whatever it might be there in December, and he happens to catch wind of of her trail or catch wind of her, um, or or see and audibly you know take a cue um, hearing the sound of a chase uh, phase you know uh, or process where bucks tending right uh, 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 and he sees you know all the activity they'll visually cue
1: in too and they'll do I that. Have no me. science. I have no science behind this. None at yeah. all. <laughs> well, but. I don't rattle that time of year um, because I think it can be a deterrent to buck sometimes because they're so tired. Mm-hmm. They're so weak. They're so just beat down from the, from the full rut um, that a, a fight almost pushes them. They're like, I don't want to fight. Like I don't, I don't have the energy. I, I can't yeah. exhort that much um, into that. And so I actually, I don't rattle in that time of year. um, Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe somebody can, shed some light but i just think you know bucks are tired and and they want easy sex they don't want to have to fight over it
2: <laughs> now i i think there there's a lot of uh, i'd say there's a lot of credibility to what you're saying um and i i would say that because to your point you don't know what the herd dynamics are there at that point in time you don't know who's moved in that's a more dominant deer you don't know um you know what deer that already is existing right there in that social herd that has kicked its butt you know you might have a great four-year-old but there's a six-year-old around there that whoops up on him every time he comes around yeah. and you know, maybe you're queuing in on that four-year-old or that three-year-old because that's your target buck and you rattle and he decides enough of that. He's already kicked my butt. I'm going to go hang out on the next 80. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's not a bad thing. You know, you can yeah. usually, oh, those deer, those deer have pretty, uh, I would say, readable body language in most cases. And I would say you've probably built that opinion off a little bit of experience. Uh, with yeah.
1: some- <laughs> now I will say like during, during, And I also didn't think this was going to go to late season hunt tactics, but it did. Um, During the full rut, I'll use a posturing decoy, um, a postured up uh, Dave Smith decoy. It's what I I love using during the full rut. Now, again, I don't want to have a super aggressive looking buck out in late season. So I pull that decoy. I don't use that come December uh, because again, I I don't want a buck to see that from a long way off and think I'm about to go whoop this guy's tail. Yeah. But I, I, what I use is the Montana decoys, little pop up, you yep. know, like the little flag decoys, and I use a buck with a doe laying down beside him. Um, and now that other buck, all he sees is, man, he still has a doe with him. Like he still has a a doe bedded up. I'm right. gonna go get that doe. Um, so, just a couple things to to note, man. Like to to yeah. to remember for the late season. We're a long way from late season. Uh, there's a lot of hunting between now and then, <laughs> no, but a lot um, of hunting. But I love somehow, it.
2: Yeah your point yeah, man and there's uh, another cool and i think you are you know danny ferris ultimate predator decoys i do yeah okay so danny's a good buddy of mine he used to work at you know the work for the parent company of outdoor sportsman group and i uh, worked at bow hunter magazine and still is involved in some regards but he owns ultimate predator decoys and you know i am not the only one that's that's seen his hunting tactics as a recent with his decoys but I, I started to use them the last couple years and One of the best hunts I had was, uh, about the second week of December into the first week. I just come back from South Dakota and, um, unfortunately was unsuccessful there, but came back and Danny and I'd been talking. I was like, you know what? I'll go try it. I've got a three, a 3d decoy that I set out in the field. I set up in the fence row under a cedar tree, had a, uh, tending buck set up on the stake behind me. And then I had, um, actually it was a camera tripod. And then I had a doe decoy on my bow with bow pod on my, on my bow. And I sat up there and thought, you know, we'll see how it goes. And uh, so I I put that out on the edge of a big bean field that could be seen from, you know, about a quarter mile around. And I hadn't been sitting there for 20 minutes. And all of a sudden here came a two-year-old. And that two-year-old circled right out. I mean, just perfect. Right out to where he he tried to quarter on the uh, 3D decoy um, because he apparently saw that he was posturing on something. And came out, got quartered to him, giving me a broadside shot the whole way out to him. And then he turned and boom locked into my, uh, my tending buck and, and doe decoy on my boat. And it was like, holy smokes, it works (laughs) (laughs) to your point. And there you are at at 25 yards on the ground with this, you know, this buck that has just come into the decoy set. And so it's, that's definitely opened my mind in regards to hunting tactics, you know, whether it be late November, early December, or even in the season sometimes. And I, one of the best decoys to the point of this, not to take away your Conversation, but one of the the best decoy stories I've ever heard, and I've seen it, and you might have even seen it, but it was the very first episode of North American Whitetail TV. And Greg Miller, a very accomplished bow hunter, he's hunted all over the East and the Midwest and the Prairie States, but he went out to Wyoming, and he was hunting early season, September one, and um, he actually used a decoy to draw the attention, a three D decoy, to draw the attention of these deer into an area that he could only get a tree stand up in this one specific area he couldn't get it all the way over to where they were at and so he thought "Mm, i'll try a decoy get a get a setup and they're curious animals by nature let's see if by chance they come to to my decoy and they did and he killed a really nice buck um september the first week of september with a decoy Um, wow just, just by playing on their curiosity you know so yeah
1: no i uh that leads me to a new topic but before we get there I gotta give a shout out to my friends over at Season Report. Um, Layden, I would highly encourage you to do a whole write-up on Season Report because it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, seasonreport.com is an online hunting almanac for all things hunting. You can log in and save down by down to the county where you hunt. And you can see all of the rules, laws, regulations, bag limits, season dates. You can see everything for that county on one easy to use, easy easy to understand platform, my favorite thing about it is I can see it on a calendar view. So I can look at season report and pull up all the counties I hunt in. And on a calendar view, I can look at when season dates overlap and what states they overlap in uh, down to what weapon they overlap in. So I know, oh man, rifle season just opened. I got to wear my orange or um, I can see, you know, well, I don't need to go to Oklahoma today because Kansas, I can look at everything next to each other. No more clunky state agency websites, all in one easy to use, easy to understand platform. That's seasonreport.com. And it's just 10 bucks for the entire stinking year. It's the best 10 bucks you'll ever spend on hunting. Use code all caps hunting101 to get that entire platform for just $10 a year. I use it literally every day during hunting season. So I would highly recommend you to go check it out. Um, Layden, what is your what is that number one thing that Mm -hmm. I had doubts about it, but it stinking works in hunting. Like you, you said that about a decoy, You're like, man, this works. Like I've had yeah. that so many times, like about, dude, I had so many doubts about this, but holy crap, it works.
2: Yeah, I, man, I would tell you um, two things and they're both scent related. Uh, both things are scent related. And there's Mine couple- is too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I look at it and the first one, and man, I hear so many talk about this tool specifically, and that's an Ozonix unit. Um, and I was a huge skeptic of it um, and, and just didn't like, man, you know, you're talking about spending half what I did on a bow or one third of what I did on a bow, depending on the model or unit you're buying. And I just could not never get myself convinced to do it. And I had a buddy that was like, look, man, I'm telling you it works. The second you see it work, that that aha moment, you're never going to go to the woods without one again. And and uh, I had he let me borrow his for a week. And I took it out the very first night, um, was hunting a spot that I was very familiar with. There was a matriarch doe on the farm that had her own little social group of five other does and, and a couple fawns. And they walked directly downwind of me. Um, and I hadn't been in the stand for 30 minutes. It's September the 15th. It's, you know, 90 degrees here in the state of Missouri. I've been sweating all over the place. And um, I'm not going to say they were directly in my my downward scent path, but they were in my scent cone for quite some time. And there was no way that they they didn't have an opportunity to smell me. And I saw her come right to from 100 yards, right to the base of the stand at one point. And she could smell like something wasn't quite right, but she she wasn't blowing and she'd stick her nose up, you know, and do what they do, lick her nose and try to try to clean things up a little bit and get a better whiff of what was going on and, and moisturize her nose a little bit. and. She just never, she never spooked. She never blew. And that was the, that was the old girl that for two straight years, every time I had a new stand and she figured out I was there, she would blow until I got, I moved the stand. Right. So I'm
1: just curious why you didn't put an arrow in her yet.
2: Well, I was hunting a specific buck and I saw him that night. And so I was trying not to screw uh, it up. But to your point. Yeah. I missed. If she knowledge.
1: blows, she goes, dude. That's, <laughs> That's, just...
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. She should have been already. But at, that for me was like, Hey, you know, a lot of guys talk about big, mature bucks, but big, mature does can be just as Oh my gosh. The world going on. If not and
1: more, if, if not, not more.
2: Yeah. If not more, because they don't cruise, you know, nine times out of 10, they don't leave that 80 acres, you know, they're yeah. there you know, every aspect of it, every corner of it. And so that has been a big thing. And I, you know, full disclosure, Hey, at North American Whitetail TV, they are a sponsor, but I'm telling you, if I don't go to the woods uh with that and a stick of Evercom, that's another thing that I've employed that. You know, I've heard people talk about nose jammer, um but I've not had too much experience with nose jammer yet. I'd like to try it at some point.
1: Uh just I was going to gonna be mine.
0: Was <laughs> it going to okay, be so, mine?
1: Yeah. Uh so so I grew up, man, and you probably did too. Um I grew up being like drilled into like you take a shower, you wash yep. your hair, you wash your your peaks and your crevices, you wash yep. everything you've got. Um and then you don't wear your boots, put them in the back of the truck, drive out there. You never get gas. Um, yep. You never like, dude, my dad, like my dad was a scent freak. And okay. so that was drilled into me. So the idea of adding scent, yeah. especially something that smells so freaking good. The <laughs> idea of adding scent freaked me out. And I had a buddy, this was just last year. Like this wasn't years ago. This was just last year. Uh, and I am not sponsored by Nose Jammer whatsoever. Um, but he, I, I had this bad wind and I just couldn't figure out this tree sand. He's like, dude, jam him." I'm like, dude, shut up. Like, get out of here with that crap. And he's like, dude, and he's a, he's a big buck killer, like always kills big deer. And he's like, I'm telling you, do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. But if these deer freak out and run, dude, it's on you. Um, and so I sprayed it and, you know, it's a lot like the Ozonics. Mm-hmm. They could tell like listen you're never gonna fully trick a deer's nose like mm-hmm. if they hang out long enough and and they're gonna catch something mm-hmm. but what i view nose jammer as is not a hundred percent i can do whatever i want no. but it's a wind insurance if they get downwind of me it might give me the extra time i need for them mm-hmm. to smell through the nose jammer to get my scent Yep. um so it gives me that extra time to get an arrow in them if i need to um but it was like that for me. It's like, holy crap, this works. Now, my wife gets mad because my entire office, truck, everything so was like nose jammer because I had to spray <laughs> um, Now, yeah. the other thing for me was peeing from my tree. Um. And I, I'm actually like a I I preach this. Like, <laughs> like if you've listened to this show at all, you know, I tell you to pee from your tree. uh, Because same way, dude, I used to carry in Gatorade bottles and, you know, carry them out and then forget them in the tree for a year and then you get up there and like, dude, I was like, you know that was the kind of freak that I grew up as a sick guy. Yeah. Um, and then like I was hunting with this guy, and again, known big butt killer, like kills big deer all the time. And we're sitting in a blind, and he turns around, whips it out, and pees in the blind. And I'm like, "What are you doing?" Like I'm freaking <laughs> out, and he's like, "I mean, what am I doing?" Like not only does this not hurt us, this helps us. And I'm like, "Huh?" And uh, and so he's like, "Yeah, don't worry about it." And I'm like, "Okay, whatever." Um, and so sure enough, dude, I started peeing for my tree and it was like, aha, this doesn't kill the deer. Like (laughs) this doesn't spook them all out of the country. In fact, I've had deer come in while I'm peeing because this is bro science and it's actually been disproved on this (laughs) podcast. Uh, are you familiar with Dr. Carl Miller from the university of Georgia?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: He told me I was dead wrong, but I don't care. Um, (laughs) because I've actually had deer come in to the sound of my pee hitting the ground and to them, they just think something's peeing in the area. Like it sounds to them like somebody something's peeing. They don't know it's a human. Um, but this is where Carl disproved me was that I heard and I thought it was, I thought it was QDMA that put out the article. I was wrong. Um, but that like 80% of all your pee is ammonia uh at time of pee, and a deer's pee is 80% ammonia. So all the deer smells is something has peed in this area. It doesn't know that it's you. It doesn't know that it's not a buck. Uh, he did disprove that, but still. Um, I, so was, I think. It what was Doctor
2: Carl's uh, recommendation on that? Did he say, "Hey, don't do it," or did he say, "Hey, just it's okay to do"? Maybe your maybe your facts behind your bro science didn't just quite. accurate.
1: No, yeah, hundred percent. He said it's it's absolutely not going to hurt you uh, gotcha. because a deer doesn't tell like it doesn't smell in like predator pee and deer pee. Um, yep. All it smells is pee. But he said it's not going to help you in the sense of, Oh, that was a buck that peed here. Yeah. Um they're they're gonna know it wasn't a buck. Um they're gonna know it wasn't a deer. But um it's not ever gonna hurt you in the form of like, Oh, that's a human pee. Like, get out of here.
2: Like, yeah, they associate that with danger in that. Range. Yeah,
1: though, I mean he's like do you know how many do you know how many predators pee in the woods? Like I mean, uh, coyotes oh. pee. It's not like they smell coyote pee and bolt. I mean, it's not like they smell I mean so um,
2: over the years. It's raccoon pee. It's fox pee. You know, it's it's raccoon urine or fox urine, whatever, you know, yeah. whatever wildlife research might be making at that point in time or, or has made over the years. You know, there's a lot of cover scents that have come from the urine of other animals too. So
1: yeah.
2: they, they are animals, you know, they're they're not bipedal men running around all over the place. But right. it's, I'm, my, my experience has been it has not hurt me. Now, if I went and ate a bunch of asparagus or drank, you know, a thermos full of coffee, <laughs> that's all I had in my system. Um, I, it'd be interesting to see how they interact. I, I, you know, I'm actually, as I think about this, this might be a great little experiment for, for us to perform here at North American Whitetail or call Dr. Deer, or Dr. Carl down at, uh, Stephen F. Austin and say, Hey, have you tried this yet? Uh, if not, let's do it and document it. But yeah, it'd be a cool one. It'd be a cool one to run with.
1: I would love to see it, man. Cause I've promoted it for a long time. Like pee from your tree as much as you can. Um, yep. now I think. I might be wrong. You might even be wearing a hoodie. What's your hoodie?
2: Uh, it's just a lacrosse hoodie here.
1: Oh dang it! See, I thought it was an Alps Outdoors hoodie. No, uh, I I do have
2: some Alps Outdoors hoodies though. It too. looks
1: a lot like it. We have a shared love for Alps. Oh yeah. Um, first off, like dude, uh, the everyday carry backpack, mm-hmm. uh, the business pack. Oh my yep. gosh, greatest thing ever made. Yep. I ask you that. Going into the Whitetail Woods, we're kicking it off. I was just now. I've, I've had a couple sets with my boys so not super serious sets by any means uh yep. we were playing monster trucks in the dirt most of the time but um i i'm the reason i ask is because i was just setting my pack up what do you carry in your whitetail pack
0: oh
2: man um so well i already told you ozonics ozonics is there um I'm always carrying that, carrying a little Evercom. I'm carrying uh, a grunt call that, you know, has an adjustable reed that I can, you know, uh, transition to a doe bleat or doe grunt if wanted. Um, Tree hooks, got to have tree hooks, accessory hooks. Um, Man, what else? I've got a little book. I I told you about this the other day. I've got a little book that my boys made for me for uh, Father's Day here a few years back that's, you know, it's like 30 pages of tell dad why he's great and what you think about him kind of stuff and it's you know this size that's kind of my little good luck charm I like to carry with me. Uh definitely have to have my knife. You got to have your knife, you got to have your field dressing kit um to go with you and and you know I I like to um you know you'd think as as involved as we are in our magazine that I would know the magazines from um you know back cover to front cover front cover to back cover but I usually try to catch up on North American whitetail or a gun dog, or a wildfowl, or we've got North American elk as well. So that's usually a nice little time where I can get away from the screen and uh, sit there. And if, you know, I'm not in a stand where I'm exposed, if I'm sitting in a blind, might have a little time to catch up uh, on some articles and just, you know, make sure I'm taking in everything that Dr. Kroll or, or um, Gordon or Haynes or Blake or whoever might be writing about. So um, those things, binoculars, range finder, uh, man, I'm trying to think of what else. Releases got to have my releases. Um, and the next. I haven't even list. said
1: snacks yet, bro. Uh,
2: well, I get I'm getting there. <laughs> Gloves and snacks. Uh, That's first.
1: That's first. Snacks are first.
2: <laughs> got to have some snacks. You just got to have the right snacks,
1: man. Actually, I take that back. Snacks can't be first because then they're in the bottom of the pack. You gotta they have. Gotta, them be, <laughs> <they> gotta <laughs> be at the top. Of the pack. <laughs> you read my mind, but they gotta be at the top. Um, it... number one tree stand snack.
2: Oh, geez.
1: Uncrustables.
2: See, I'm a little Debbie uh, punk, man. And I like, it's hard on me because the older I get, the more I try to try to lay off the sugar and um, I've kind of transitioned to beef jerky or deer jerky a little bit more and and, um, trying to stay a little healthier with it. But gosh, it's hard to leave little Debbie out of my pack.
1: Okay. Yeah. I understand. Have you ever had Uncrustables though?
2: Oh, Uncrustables are great. They're in our freezer right now. I've got three little boys all under the age of 10. So don't think we don't have Uncrustables and Hot Pockets in the freezer.
1: Yeah, I uh one time I got in trouble. I was headed out. Um I was going down to Oklahoma for four or five days and. I just grabbed the whole box, like from Sam's industrial box of Uncrustables and left. And uh, and I quickly got a phone call from my wife. She's like, are you serious? I got to get the kids ready for school every day. And you just took their whole lunch for the next week and a half. And I'm like, uh, well, it's my lunch for the next week and a half too, sweetheart. So, yep. And I'll tell you the
2: <laughs> other great thing that the kids eat all the time are these uh, little applesauce squeeze packs. Have you seen? Oh, these? yeah. Oh my, those things are awesome because then I'm like stealing their gogurt or, you know, like the Trix yogurt or anything along those lines. I've got applesauce that hundred percent healthy and organic (laughs) and i take them right out and they fit into the pack. They're quiet. That's a, that's another great snack. If you're not using those applesauce squeeze, uh, containers.
1: Now, pro tip, you have to, on an Uncrustable, you mentioned quiet on an Uncrustable, you got to take them out of the package. They come in and put them in a Ziploc bag, uh, Cause those packages will kill you. Um, trust me, like I've been there, done that. Um, but sometimes the snacks are more important than the deer. Um, so, uh, Layden, I ask every single one of my guests, what's Fred bear is big on his field notes. So what's one tip you have for us? One quick field note, uh, that you've learned over the years that I can take and make myself a better hunter with
2: pay attention. And that's something that has taken, you know, a little bit of maturity. I'm a long ways from being mature, but um, it's taken a little bit of maturity to, to start uh, taking note of is just pay attention. And, you know, you probably laugh at me, but I've been bow hunting now since um, the age of, of 16, 15. So um, it, I was actually it was just before I turned 16 that I, I first went out and started bow hunting. Um, and it took me almost 15 years to, to notice like native browse uh, walking through the timber. And I was hunting a piece of public ground in, in Nebraska with my bow. It was five and a half years ago. I guess it'd be five years ago this season. And, um, man, I was standing in an area and, and I was off the edge of an alfalfa field that was actually on that walking ground. I was like, man, why are they not coming to the alfalfa in September? I just can't get it. I don't understand it. And I'm, I'm standing there just beating myself up on this piece of public ground. And I just kind of look down and I see what whatever that little shoot was that was growing in that part of the timber. And uh, man, it's like, oh, it's been browsed on, huh? I start looking around and everywhere around me, it's all browsed off. And I went, oh, light bulb. And it just made me think, man, so many times I have walked because it, as, as deer hunters, you know, unfortunately, the, the media, um, in some cases, we talk about the very attractive things. that it's your fault. We, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> we are, you know, we talk about the alfalfa, and we talk about the soybeans and we talk about you know, the mineral, or we talk about the, you know, whatever supplemental feed it might be. And, and we, we so often overlook the native components, of forage that, you know, just take place or acorns. We'll talk about acorns, but yeah. we'll talk about, you know, a nice tender shoot that comes up. And so I, it just like light bulb, I went, man, for years, I've overlooked that. And sure enough, I sat there the next morning and there were does everywhere. And, you know, and I wasn't 150 yards from, from where I was, I was just down below it in the bottom. And that's where they wanted to be. They wanted to feed on that native browse right there. And, so I I say that to say hey pay attention make sure that you're taking in your surroundings when you get into an area and you watch a deer nine times out of ten what they're doing probably nine point nine nine times out of ten they do out of intention yeah. um, so pay attention to the way that they're they've got their nose in the air when they walk into the field the direction that they approach that field into what what way the wind's blowing what the temperatures like like all those little things can help you put the the puzzles together on a big you know whitetail or mule deer or elk. Uh, a lot quicker. If you'll take the time to to take note and maybe even literally take notes on what you're seeing.
1: Yeah. Deer are yeah. creatures of habit. Um, and sometimes people don't get that. Like I was, I was explaining it to somebody like this. They're a new hunter and they were asking where to hunt early season versus late season, um, mm-hmm. or middle of the rut, uh, you know, that type of thing. Like, where do I hunt on my property? And I just told him this, I'm like, listen, if you want to kill a human, like if you were hunting humans, you would yeah. not go, you would not go to the beach on yeah. christmas day no uh because it's gonna be freezing cold nobody's going to the beach however if you want to kill a human and you go to the beach in the summer you got a plethora right. um same is true like same is true for like if i wanted to kill a white girl i would go to starbucks at seven thirty a.m like that would be where i would go i wouldn't necessarily go at 2 p.m because they've already got their coffee and went to work um Think about it like that with deer, like deer aren't that much different than humans. Mm-hmm. They need the same things we need. They need food, water and shelter. Um, right. So they're going to be focused on those three things. And then if you think about it, like, you know, I, I just try not to overcomplicate it. And I think, man, if I get done with a big, big workout or a big run or whatever, first thing I want to do is go eat because I'm hungry. I'm depleted. I need I need food in me. The same is uh, now we're talking about earlier, we we're talking about late season. The same is true for a deer. They just Mm -hmm. got done with a month long workout and fighting and running and, and having sex. And I mean, crazy amounts of energy for a month straight. The only thing they want to do is eat. So go to where they're eating. Um, you know, if it's pouring snow, I mean, think about where you would be. You'll be shacked up in your house. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of times deer are going to be shacked up. Oh, I was going to say that you mentioned that story about, um, being able to see a long ways off with in in South Dakota. Um, I actually really like if you're a steel hunter, um, or a spot and stock hunter, um, those late season times are phenomenal because you can see deer bedded down a lot better because they're not bedded down in brown stuff. They're bedded down in white stuff. So you can see them a lot better. And then you can walk a lot quieter. Um, you can move a lot quieter on snow. So, um, again, I I got off track there, but, um,
2: To that same point, though, I would tell you, like, you know, you're talking about one of the big things I learned out there was, hey, when I first got out there, I was so, you know, itching to go, itching to send that first arrow through a mule deer that, like, hey, I saw, I saw a buck, I went after a buck. I didn't, I didn't stop and say, okay, wait, time out, look at that buck. What are his surroundings? Where's the wind? What's he bedded by? How's he bedded relative to other deer? And that's something that over time, you know, I started to learn. Like, hey, when I'm out there hunting mature bucks, nine times out yeah. of ten they're bedded with the the wind at their back and where they can see out in front of them. So they can cover themselves from behind with their nose. They can cover themselves in front with their eyes. So how does that dictate how you approach? Well, you can't approach them from behind because they're going to smell you before they ever see you. You can't approach them from in front because unless you have a landscape advantage, because they're going to see you before you ever get to within bow range. And so maybe it's a lateral move or it's a 45 degree angle where you can maintain that wind direction, yet stay out of sight for them, you know? And so there's a lot of things and you can learn a lot about what's going on. So you see that first big buck and you see that, you know, he's bedded in that area. Let's say it's a it's a, a south facing hill at that point in time. It's December, right? It's probably gonna be a south facing hill. Um, but you also see what he, he when he gets up, what's the first thing he browses on? Um, and is that a plant that you you see a lot of? Or maybe you just see little yep. bits and that's why he's there, you know, because he can get up browsing security right there by it and then he'll move to that destination food source
0: yeah. you
2: know so there's a lot of things to you know to your point my point that the hey pay attention you know take note of what's going on because you can learn a lot without ever having to go through the process of messing it all up you know before you learn right.
1: you learn more from the bucks that you screw up than the bucks you kill by oh, yeah. far like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah. you normally don't learn a lot of stuff from deer that you kill like nah. you, you normally don't um because what you're doing when you kill them is you're implementing what you learned on the last ones that you messed up. Um, but man, when I come home and I'm like, dang it, dude, I saw three deer and I blew them all out. Like I messed them right. all up. Like then you're like, well, maybe that, maybe this is why, maybe, maybe this is what happened, you know, maybe. And so you start adding all those things up and then you put them all together and you kill a big buck.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure.
1: Guys, before we go, I am picky about the nonprofits that I support, but the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship is certainly one of those. Um, John V. Mesh was a firefighter in the Kansas City area. Shout out, Missouri. Um, firefighter in the Kansas City area died in the line of duty. He had a strong passion for getting kids involved in the outdoors. So his brothers started a nonprofit uh, to host these events around the country to get kids started in the outdoors and to raise money for their scholarship, which is going to send one kid through college who's pursuing a career in conservation or law enforcement or um, park rangers, things of the sort. So guys, I would highly encourage you to check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship at johnvmesh.org. Layden, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. It is always a pleasure. Always a joy to talk whitetails for sure. Oh, man.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And to the point of what you just said, it's always a pleasure to, to spend some time with you, man. Thank you. For the support and uh, everything that you're doing to help share the message of North American Whitetail. and um, now, Before
1: us- they go, where can they find North American Whitetail?
2: So NorthAmericanWhitetail.com. Um, you can go to our Instagram page, uh, our Facebook page. You can catch us on the Sportsman's channel, or outdoor channel, as far as TV goes. Uh, we just signed a distribution agreement last year. The networks did with uh, Hulu. Um, so we're the official outdoor networks of Hulu Live Plus. Uh, or plus live, I got that backwards the first time. So you can catch Sportsman's Channel, not only North American Whitetail TV, but any of the folks that are producing outdoor television on those two networks, the Sportsman's Channel or Outdoor Channel. And if you happen to be north of the border, catch us on Sportsman's Channel Canada as well. So um, very cool. Appreciate now, you're it. You're
1: not a you're not a Missouri Missouri fan, are you? Football fan.
2: I, I am. It was a rough weekend, man. It was a good weekend, but it was a rough weekend too.
1: That's disgusting.
2: Too <laughs> you know? That's well, disgusting. I'm actually, I'm I'm a Missoula alum as well. So,
1: oh my gosh! See, I actually grew up, born and raised in Northwest Arkansas, so I'm a Razorback ah. through and through. So, I absolutely love buying tickets to the Missouri Arkansas game. Oh right, yeah! Last year we just laid it to ya. you. You did. That was fun. You did that was fun. yeah. Um I'm
2: just glad to hear you're not a Jayhawk fan, man.
1: I, like no, I, not at I all. I love razorbacks, not Jayhawks. <laughs> not at all, man. Uh I love I live in Jayhawk country, um, but not at all, dude. My father in law yeah. is a Jayhawk and uh you, you know, never hear Dude, they're the worst fans in college, like by oh, far.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, what's crazy, man. They're five and zero right now. Their football team's five and Oh
1: gosh. They I, know, it. I know.
2: I know. I'm, I mean, I'm checking to make sure that, you know, hell hasn't froze over or the pigs aren't flying or, you know, that the world's coming to an end
1: because that's <laughs> now, it's crazy. I, now listen, this is not a sports podcast, but if you're a Jayhawks <laughs> fan, don't ever listen to this podcast again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, <laughs> we love
2: you all the same. <laughs>
1: yeah, we absolutely do. And, uh, especially after we talked about not putting each other down. so That's right. Um, That's what I I guess We love you all right. <laughs> yeah. Guys, thanks for listening. You guys have a great week and uh, can't wa- wait to watch the Jayhawks fall next week. <laughs> there
2: you go.